wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast number 42, Severe Sleep Apnea and Treatments, Quit Holding Out and Draw Another Breath. Welcome everyone to the Sleep Unplugged podcast. My name is Dr. Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist. Very excited for you to be here with me today. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to the family. If you're a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. Very excited for you to be here. Today's episode is a long time coming and it sort of finishes a trilogy that we began way, way back with episode five death by CPAP, where we talked about some of the nuances in treating mild sleep apnea and how it's not quite as simple as, oh, you've got sleep apnea, here's your CPAP, good luck. We also did an episode number 29 on snoring, which I think is a very important episode as well too, to really treat snoring as its own separate entity and not always just a symptom of sleep apnea. But with this episode, episode 42, we're going to close the story on sleep apnea for now by trying to do two things at once. Number one, talk more in depth about the treatments for sleep apnea, which we've touched upon in episode five, but really didn't make it the meat of the story. And number two, really flip to the other side of the spectrum and examine the severe sleep apnea patient. Again, episode five was more of that nuanced, you've got borderline mild sleep apnea. What is that conversation looking like with your doctor? And now we're moving to the other end of, you've really got sleep apnea. What does that mean and how are we going to treat it? And the story really begins with a patient that I saw this week that I'm going to introduce you to. But before we do, we always start the show off with comments, corrections, criticisms. And I've got two uh, to talk about today. One is our last episode, which was a big one. Uh, didn't didn't top the the episode 40 and the things that I wish we didn't treat about sleep apnea, the 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 advice that I don't like. That was a monster. But last week was more about, how to Settle the Racing Mind. It was one of our ongoing insomnia series, and it was a big one. And I've been posting throughout the week ways that you can settle your own mind. And one was I was sleeping with the Somnox sleep robot, and the, the robot actually breathes. If you, if you watch the Instagram video on a bigger screen, you can actually see the little robot getting bigger and smaller, bigger and smaller. And so you match your breath with that. And I really liked uh, a comment that we got from Mudita Gokhale. And I'm so sorry if I'm, I'm mispronouncing your name. She's actually a certified nutrition coach and diet counselor. She's based in Mumbai, India. And she, she said, which I thought was awesome, that she has a four-year-old daughter. And she said, nice. I usually cuddle with my four-year-old daughter and try to sync my breathing with hers. I think that's really, really special and really cute. And I really like that. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to drop that little comment with us. Um, it, was, it was a good one. Uh, the other comment that I wanted to mention was a review of the podcast, which I'm always extremely grateful of. And this was from Monk Sharp, 
who wrote, I'm really excited to have found this show. I do have sleep issues and the explanations Dr. Winter gives me help me understand sleep and sleep disorders. He has great taste in music too. And we'll definitely get to the title of the song a little bit later. I appreciate that Monk Sharp. I know you're a busy individual and taking the time out to, to drop that uh, comment is, is very appreciated. Before we get going with the podcast, I did want to revisit very quickly episode 20, uh, 30, I believe, which was the episode on catathrenia, which was a massive episode for the podcast, but a huge episode for our YouTube channel. And if you want to find us on YouTube and watch the videos of these recordings, you can just type in Sleep Unplugged Podcast in the YouTube browser and, and we will pop up and you can see all the videos. And if you're looking at all the views, you can see the catathrenia has quadrupled, I think, the second place video. It's really found found a, a big audience there and really appreciate it. The reason I want to bring it up is that my wife actually said, hey, you had catathrenia recently. And I went to get my phone, which does not live in the bedroom with us. And I recorded it. So I'm going to try to play it for you. And hopefully you can hear it. Here is my catathrenia. So hopefully the filtering software doesn't filter that out like it did with our white noise episode. Is if you listen to that, you're you're aware of. So just sort of a hmm, kind of a little hum every time I exhale. It's an it's an uh, expiratory sound. So I just wanted to throw that out there to kind of round out that episode. So let's get going with the topic today: severe sleep apnea and its treatments. Before we get going, the title of our podcast today. Quit holding out and draw another breath was from the 1979 Clash song, London Calling, from the album of the same name. It was their third studio album. And I like the juxtaposition of the Clash with talking about Queen last week because the emergence of bands like the Clash in the, the late 70s, early 80s really put a lot of pressure on the prog rocks and the disco and all the, to really start to change and, and strip down their sound a little bit. And the clash were really struggling to come up with material for the third album and really wanted to get away from sort of the punk ska reggae sound. They had, they had, they had for their first two albums. Uh, so when London calling came out, it was a really different direction and really caught a lot of individuals off guard. And this was a huge album. It's generally regarded top 20 all-time albums whenever Rolling Stone does their thing. And the title track on it is a real gem, London Calling, which is sort of this post-apocalyptic anthem that references lots of things. And one of the interesting things that references in the song is there's a, there's a, a, a nuclear era little line in the song that's talking about the Pennsylvania three mile Island nuclear disaster of March of 79, which if you're familiar with that story, there was actually sleep deprivation within the workers of three mile Island that were thought to be part of that disaster. 
So everything relates back to sleep, right? And I, I really like the the whole idea of, of London Calling, the the the, the song. I, I love the the album. It was a homage to Elvis Presley's debut album. If you look at the cover of Elvis Presley's debut debut album, the cover art sort of mirrored mirrored that with Simon and smashing his bass. And they didn't like the picture at first because they said it was blurry, but they were going to put it on there anyway. So, I, you know, the cover is iconic. The album is iconic. Even the sleeve for the for the single London Calling was designed to look like the Columbia record sleeve that Elvis's album would have come in. And when you look at it, there's actually little albums scattered around. And instead of being sort of generic albums, the albums are actually the Beatles debut album, uh, Please Please Me, Never Mind the Bullocks, Hear the Sex Pistols, which I believe is the Sex Pistols' only album they ever released, Rolling Stones debut, uh, The Clash's debut album, which they included their own in there, uh, Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited, and Elvis Presley's debut album, which I think is just so cool that they kind of added those in there. So look up the album, the, the I'm sorry, the single sleeve for London Calling, and you'll see all that. So let's get into it. The reason I, I, I've decided to do this today is that I, I've talked about, I, I think I talked about it in episode five, I think most sleep doctors have a record for the worst sleep apnea patient they've ever seen. Maybe the lowest desaturation. My record, I sort of base upon the number of breathing problems that a patient has per hour. And that's what we use to figure out the severity of sleep apnea. And there has been sort of talk about, well, maybe we should look at other ways of classifying, quantifying creating significance of sleep apnea. There was a, a study back in June, I'm sorry, in sleep, the, the journal sleep in 2021, authored by Atul Mahatra, who we've talked about uh, on this show before, Nancy Collip uh, from down at Emory uh, was part of that uh, group, Alan Pack, uh, David White. I mean, just a massive sleep research society task force. And they're saying, look, there might be some other ways we can look at classifying sleep apnea besides what we call the apnea hypopnea index, which is, if you remember from episode five, how many breathing problems where you stop breathing or almost stop breathing enough to drop your oxygen are you having per hour of sleep? And some other alternative metrics they thought might be helpful could be the hypoxic burden. How much time are you spending at oxygen levels that are too low? Arousal intensity. How many times are you actually arousing from sleep? And we've talked about that a little bit with this idea of upper airway resistance, meaning that you're not having a 10 second or longer breathing problem, which is the criteria for an apnea or apopnea, but you're doing it enough that you're actually awakening from your sleep, which is the real devil of sleep apnea, right? You're having to decide between breathing or sleeping and your body chooses to breathe at the expense of sleep, you wake up, catch your breath, go back to sleep and you do it over and over again. So it's really interesting when you talk to other doctors, hey, what's the worst sleep apnea you've ever seen? And so the AHI is a common language that we all have for sleep apnea. And up until this week, I think in episode five, I had talked about my record being 144 well, that was beaten this week by a gentleman who I read his sleep study 
And when I first looked at it, I thought it was an error. I was like, there's no way somebody could have this many breathing disturbances. And as I looked and read the study and went sort of epic through epic through this, you know, individual sleep study that ran through the night, it was truly shocking how many significant breathing disturbances this person had. So drum roll, my new record for worst sleep apnea patient I've ever seen in my career is now 155.8. That's the that's this individual's index. And so what that means is 155.8 times per hour, this individual stops breathing during the night. And like I said, I have a picture of it and I'm going to post it on social media so everybody can kind of see what's going on with this. And the fascinating thing here is it's just continuous breathing disturbances during the night. You can see there in the red, each one of those is a vertical line and it's just over and over having breathing disturbances. And you're going to see this individual's oxygen saturation going up, down, up, down, up, down all through the night. And as it's going down and this individual's not breathing, the brain is like, hey, really miss the oxygen. I really don't like all this carbon dioxide building up. And suddenly there's an arousal from sleep. He wakes up, catches his breath, goes right back to sleep, right back to stop breathing. And the process repeats itself. So in episode five, we talked a lot about that apnea apopnea index, the milder side of it. Now to refresh, zero to five breathing problems per hour is considered normal uh, or up to five, five to 15 generally considered to be mild, 15 to 30 generally considered to be moderate. 30 or above considered to be severe. So again, 31 breathing problems per hour, you have severe sleep apnea. This guy, 155.8 breathing problems per hour, you have sleep apnea. So you can see the inherent foolishness of this, this situation. You know, hey, baseball player, you hit a home run. You're a really good baseball player. Hey, you hit 60 home runs this season. You're in a class by yourself. So I you know, again, and these become important because we're going to make diagnostic decisions about it. As we start to move into the more severe sleep apnea patients, people above 30, people above 50, people above 70, these individuals are struggling. And I'm not going to name this individual. I told him I was going to be, I was going to talk about him in my last episode. And I thought, you know what? This guy deserves his own episode. He needs to be the center of the entire episode. And I, I talked to him, I, you know, I, I read his sleep study and called him the next day and said, you've got the most profound sleep apnea I've ever seen. Now, this was a patient that my nurse practitioner, Ellen Wormter, saw. You can follow her at uh, SleepNP on Twitter uh, and just search Ellen Wormter on uh, Instagram as well, too, if you want to follow her there. But she's really active on, on Twitter. And so I had never met him. I was reading the study, but she was sort of involved in his care. And she said, my day is packed. I don't have a place to put him. And I said, you know what? I've got a cancellation. I've got somewhere I can put him. So I saw him in my clinic. And so I was meeting for the first time. And he's a driver. So for a living, he has a job where he's driving around and constantly getting out of the vehicle he's driving to you know, move things that he's got and get back in the car and, and drive. And my first thought was, my guess is he doesn't make it to 155.8 breathing problems per hour if he doesn't have a job that's busy. 
one of my favorite, I've got a bunch of little rules of, uh, I call them rules of the house of sleep or rules of the house of nod. Uh, if you're familiar with Sam Shim's book, House of God, at the very back, there was the rules of House of God. Well, we have the rules of House of Nod. And one of the rules is you can't fall asleep hanging sheetrock. And what I mean by that is busy jobs often tend to mask sleep apnea. So this guy getting up, running around, driving, getting out of the truck, getting back in the truck, probably helps to sort of mask a lot of his symptoms of profound sleepiness, which most people with sleep apnea have. And we're going to talk a bit about that in a minute. Second thing was he said the only reason he came was because he had a bed partner. So two of the red flags to me about sleep apnea and sleep apnea is extremely, extremely common. It's also extremely, extremely um, dangerous and and costly in terms of individuals who have it and what it costs, you know, people in terms of money and, and, and in terms of their health. Um, it's, it's thought that probably a billion people worldwide have sleep apnea. And I think it's something like 8% of people have been diagnosed, but maybe up to 20 or 25% of people have it. So it's out there. And the two things that are probably worse in terms of hiding it are your occupation. If you're busy running around all the time, hanging sheetrock, you might be able to work through excessive sleepiness more than if a very boring job sitting at a desk in a dark room. But the other thing is living by yourself or not having a bed partner in the room with you. Often there is no one there to say, your breathing scares me, your snoring scares me. I sometimes count X number of seconds before you catch a breath. So in episode five, we were talking a lot about, hey, have a conversation. This may not be the right thing for you. It's a bit more complex than just getting a CPAP. When you start to move into these more severe categories, that is absolutely not the case. Treating sleep apnea for these individuals can be absolutely life-changing. And we know that individuals who have sleep apnea are going to have massive problems with their cardiovascular health, their cognitive health, much more likely to have a heart attack. We saw there was a, uh, there was a study that just came out recently talking about once again, the massive relationship between sleep disturbances and stroke and sleep apnea is a big one there that is impacting the, the, the quality of individual sleep and making them much more risk for having things like stroke. And one thing that I really want this podcast to stress is this guy came into our office. He's got a primary care doctor, has had him for a long time. Most people do. And when you diagnose somebody who has severe sleep apnea, 155.8 breathing problems per hour, this did not start yesterday. This did not start a week ago. This did not start a month ago. This process has been going on for a very, very, very long time. And my first thought when I see this, I have two thoughts. They happen almost simultaneously every time I diagnose somebody with severe sleep apnea. Number one, thank God you are here. Thank God you made the decision to take some time off from your work, make an appointment and come see 
Ellen Wormter at Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine. Thank God you did that. And I asked, why did you do it? And he said, well, it's mainly because of my wife. My second thought is, where's the primary care doctor been? I, I, I will never understand this for as long as I live. I think that I would be one of the worst primary care doctors in the world. I, there is just so much stuff going on that you've got to keep handles of. I, I work much more systematically in my mind. But let me tell you this. If I were a primary care doctor, I'm going to ask every one of my patients about snoring. I'm going to ask every one of my patients about sleepiness because sleep apnea patients are sleepy. So we've talked about the Epworth sleepiness scale. I want to do a whole a whole episode on the Epworth sleepiness scale. But basically, that's just a bunch of situations you might find yourself in. And we're asking the question, how likely would it be for you to fall asleep? And if the answer is, I often fall asleep driving, I often fall asleep sitting and reading, I often fall asleep at work in meetings, you're going to have a high Epworth score. People with sleep apnea often have a very high Epworth score. So if I'm a primary care doctor and you've got that high Epworth score, oh, and by the way, you're hypertensive, which we know is a risk factor. Oh, and, and by the way, you're overweight and you're a man over the age of 50 and you snore, I swear to God, Every one of those patients in my clinic is going to get beaten over the head with a home sleep study test. In fact, I would probably just buy my own and send it off to somebody who could interpret it. That way I could just move, move people through. So I always think about this guy and think, what, 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 was this, what was the thing that made you think that not only did he not have sleep apnea, but he didn't need to be tested because he is overweight he is ridiculously sleepy and he is hypertensive and he drives for a living. All of these things. So I, I see my amazing primary care doctor every year, Bill Fox, incoming president of the American uh, Academy of Physicians, I think. I mean, the AAP, big, great guy. And I can see why, because he's super smart. I've talked about him before on the show. I just don't understand when I go see my doctor, he, we talk about all kinds of stuff. How have you been feeling? How's your sleep? And he always asks me that with a smile. Like when he does my neuro exam, I'm a neurologist. So I love the confidence he has when he pulls out that reflex hammer and starts doing a neuro exam. Yeah. Cause that's your job. You might find something and neurologists are terrible at treating themselves. Although I do remember a, a, there was a crazy story about a famous neurologist who, as he was having a stroke and I think died diagnosed he had a stroke during a lecture and as he was falling to the ground dying he diagnosed exactly where his stroke was before he died so that that's the legend anyway i don't want to be that person so i just you know how's your are you exercising are you smoking hey chris we checked your weight you're about the same as you were last year oh it looks like you've been exercising well that's great what kind of exercise are you doing uh chris your cholesterol is a little bit high let's let's talk about what we can do about that and you know, what our plan for that's going to be. I've got aortic aneurysms in my family. He, you know, he's checking out to make sure I'm having my contrasted CT angiogram every five years. Like he's just, he's on it. This is beyond not being on it. Every, every symptom of sleep apnea has been there over and over. And we don't do the sleep study. And when we finally do it, 155 0.8 breathing problems per hour. We passed severe 
miles ago on this road. And, you know, there's a guy out in UCLA named Dale Bredesen. And he and I share a publisher. And when our books came out, he wrote a book. It basically is argued very controversially argues that, look, Alzheimer's disease is, 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 is preventable. We just don't do it. And so his book came out when my book came out, The Rested Child. If, uh, my book's Rested Child and Sleep Solution, if you're interested. But when The Rested Child came out, his book came out, and we were on a little interview thing together. And I remember him saying, we're just not diagnosing people with sleep apnea in enough time. And we're not diagnosing and being aggressive about blood sugar issues and inflammation. And he named a bunch of other things. And he's saying, we just wait too long. And it's hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue with the fact that if we don't diagnose and treat sleep apnea until we're getting to 155, 10 second or longer breathing problems per hour that drop your oxygen and cause a little hypoxic events to the point where you have to wake up from the suffocation and draw another breath, then yeah, we probably are causing damage because tonight you're having those events tomorrow that person sleeping next to you, having events all through the night, eight hours, suffocation, suffocation, low oxygen, suffocation, wake up, go to work, have some dinner, watch a show, back to sleep, eight hours, suffocation, suffocation, suff I mean, all the time. And imagine if we could be truly aggressive about going after sleep apnea and not have 8% of people diagnosed, 20% of people out, out there undiagnosed. It's so easy. It's so easy. Here is this little home sleep study. By the way, your insurance will cover it. Take it with you. Wear it. Bring it back. You don't have to go into a sleep lab. Somebody looks at it and says, oh, yeah, 89 breathing problems per hour, 43 breathing problems per hour, 155.8 breathing problems per hour you've got. So it just kind of blows my mind when I look at all the articles written about sleep, sleep hacking, biohacking, let's improve our health. Let's do these kinds of things. Let's tape our mouth shut. Let's warm our feet. Let's, you know, I don't know whatever, breathe through one nostril. Hey, great, fantastic. But we have this massive problem that is affecting the health and sleep of all kinds of people. Forget breathing out of your left nostril. If you snore and you're an older individual and your partner says you stop breathing sometimes and you're kind of tired and not feeling like your sleep's that great, and maybe you're dealing with your weight or your blood pressure, or your blood sugar, or some other chronic health issue, talk to your doctor about, hey, what would you think about doing a sleep study? Let's, let's look at the pros and cons. The cons your insurance doesn't cover the home study and you pay a few hundred dollars for it. But in my experience, home sleep studies get covered. But let's say you're not, you have to pay for it out of pocket. And you've got to wear a little thing on your finger, a little thing underneath your nose, a little thing across your chest. That, that's it in your own bed. That's it. That's all you have to do. What are the pros? The pros that it adds years of quality to your life. It helps you delay or avoid the heart attack or stroke. It delays the onset of dementia. It changes that you feel great. Do you know how excited I am for this driver to get his CPAP device? I just, I cannot wait for that visit. Well, 
how's it going? You've been on it for a few weeks. What do you think? It's I'll, I'll let you know what he says when, when I meet with him. It's going to be life-changing for him. Imagine waking up 155 times every hour because somebody has their hand over your mouth and nose. So you wake up. Oh my God. Why, why did you do? Why did you, why were you trying to suffer, suffocate me? Oh, I wasn't trying to suffocate you. Go back to sleep. Okay. And you go back to sleep. They put their hand right back over your nose and mouth. It's like Lucy in the football. I'm not going to pull it away. Promise. And you go back to sleep. And once again, somebody's got their hand over your mouth and nose trying to suffocate you over and over and over. Think about the sympathetic activity of your body. Like, like you're walking in the woods and you see a bear. Pupils get big, heart rate goes up, blood pressure through the roof, right? It's fight or flight. Well, that's what's going on. Instead of seeing the bear in the woods, you're walking in the woods and somebody jumped out behind you, put their hands over your mouth and nose, and they're trying to suffocate you over and over and over. And they're getting close to succeeding sometimes. You know, people can die from this. So we've got to stop this sort of laissez-faire attitude about sleep apnea. And if your doctor is not asking you about it, you're an older individual, a little overweight, have some blood pressure issues, don't sleep that well. They've got you on Ambien, Trazodone, Linesta, that's their solution. Screw that. You ask them, hey, I was listening to some podcasts, a guy seemed pretty upset about the fact that more primary care doctors aren't aggressively going after sleep apnea. I think I'd like to have a home sleep study. If they say no, get another fucking doctor. Ooh, there it was. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> the first F-bomb. Well, I, listen, I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Get another doctor. Get another doctor. If they're saying no, now if they say, oh, well, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Great. But if they say no, get another doctor. Because this is your life or your partner's life or your friend's life or your parent's life. And they need intervention and help. And listen, let's talk about the therapies of sleep apnea really quickly because we, we, we've kind of touched on them. And we're talking about a CPAP device. It is a device that you wear and it puts a little positive airway pressure in your, it, it kind of props open your airway. Does it do, do people want these? No, I mean, we, we've talked about this before. I don't mean to offend the CPAP community out there, but my guess is you didn't. If you could choose to magically not have sleep apnea or have sleep apnea wear a CPAP, you'd choose not to have it. But that is not to say that they're that difficult to wear. I've worn one for a month just for the heck of it. I guess I can say a hell of it now because I said the F word. So you can wear these things. It's not that big of a deal. And they can be life-changing for you. For this severe sleep apnea, it's going to be life-changing for this person. It's going to be life-changing. I'm calling it right now. When he, when, when I visit with him and talk with him, I'll tell you what he says, but it's going to change his life. He's going to be a new person and will add years to his life. So don't choose not to get a sleep study because you're a little bit nervous about a CPAP. It's not that big a deal. It really isn't. And most people grow to love them. Now, if you don't like a CPAP, there are other options. There are surgical options. are getting better by the moment. Um, I think the average individual with sleep apnea who is treated with surgery, it's about a 50% success rate. But I think the surgeons today are doing even better than that because they're much more selective. So find good surgeons in your area that can do that. And I'm going to mention very quickly Inspire Therapy. Inspire Therapy kind of drives me crazy, not because the therapy is bad, because the commercials make it look like it's a walk in the park. Inspire is a device that's implanted in your neck. There's a controller that's implanted in your chest. So it's basically kind of when you turn it on, 
it is monitoring for a signal of breathing in. And when that happens, the little thing in your neck stimulates muscles that open up your airway, like actively. So who's eligible for sleep apnea or Inspire therapy? You have to have sleep apnea diagnosis. Your AHI has to be somewhere between 15 and 65. I'm not a fan of the 15 side of that spectrum. And I'll go into it more in just a second. Over the age of 18, you have to have tried and failed CPAP therapy. We're going to get back to that as well too. BMI under 32 or 35, somewhere in there. Um, and then you have to see a qualified individual able to do the surgery. So am I opposed to Inspire Therapy? No. Here's my biggest problem with Inspire Therapy. I got referred a patient for, a, uh, for sleep apnea, had an HI of 17, had worn a CPAP successfully for several months and came back and said, it kept me from snoring, but it didn't really change anything about the way I felt. So I'm going to get Inspire therapy. I was like, oh, okay, why? Well, because the CPAP didn't work. And when you read the site, it talks about have tried and found it to be unsuccessful. We have to be very careful about how we define unsuccessful with Inspire therapy. Now we're back to death by CPAP. If successful is stopping the breathing disturbances and reducing your 17 breathing problems per hour down to less than five, I'll bet you the CPAP was successful in that. But that's not how you're measuring success. You're measuring success based upon how you feel. And if you're wearing a CPAP device for six hours every night for several months and don't feel better, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not certain that that Inspire is going to do any better or any therapy would do any better. Hey, doc, the glass, I put these glasses on. I can't see anything. Well, maybe it's not the shape of your eyeball that's the problem. It's cataracts or glaucoma. It's something else. So I don't think, well, the glasses don't work. You still can't see anything. Okay, well, we'll just have you do LASIK surgery. Well, that's not going to work. The glasses don't work. So if somebody says, look, the CPAP worked great. I felt like a million bucks. I have an age. I have 17. Tried the CPAP. Felt like a million bucks. I just don't want to wear a CPAP. Okay, well, I think Inspire Therapy might be great for you. I'm going to tell you right now, you're in trouble, I think. If you're looking for, I want to feel great, and the CPAP that I was wearing for a good period of time didn't make me feel great, hopefully the Inspire will. I don't know. And I would say that about an oral appliance too, anything. So we have to be careful about that and be very smart in our selection of who's right for Inspire because right now they're pushing so hard to grab people. I don't think they're being particularly careful about the way they're talking about Inspire and who's getting it. And I just think we we, we need to be really careful because this is not a walk in the park. That's the other thing too. I wish this, I mean, every commercial I ever see about something related to medicine has some sort of disclaimer, careful, may cause dizziness, drown, da, 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 death, sudden death, blindness, blah, blah, blah. like all the, you know, the warnings at the end of the commercial. You got this commercial, like I got tired of my CPAP and now I don't have to wear one. It's great. And that's the commercial. Why don't you show a picture of the surgery? Like show a live picture of what's going on there. You know, Inspire involves implanting something in your chest and a separate thing in your neck. Like it's surgery. It's, it's, it's kind of a big deal.
So not not a fan of the way they're kind of aggressively going after that. And I'm not a fan because I'm getting questions about it all the time. Hey, I want that that treatment that doesn't have the CPAP. Okay, well, it doesn't have the CPAP, correct. It's got some other things to go along with it too. Oral appliances are sort of the third category. So we have surgery, CPAP, oral appliances. These are devices you wear kind of like a retainer. I like them. Insurances are sometimes difficult to get them covered. They can be expensive. And once again, if somebody's saying, look, I tried to CPAP for a long period of time, wore it, wore it, wore it, but it didn't make me feel great. The oral appliance probably won't either. But if somebody says, look, I tried the CPAP. I really liked the way I felt. I just don't want to wear the CPAP. Well, that's fine. Oral appliance is fine. Inspire is fine. Or like we talked about in episode five, hey, it didn't make me feel anything, but I just want to treat it. I read Dale Bredesen's book. I feel more comfortable treating my sleep apnea, even if I don't feel better. That's fine too. But these are those important conversations that we we just absolutely have to have. So that's it. I just wanted to talk about the fact that if you have severe sleep apnea, treat it. And if you have any of the symptoms related to sleep apnea and you're not getting tested for it, you need to be. If your partner is not getting tested for sleep apnea, make him or her or them get that sleep study. If you care about them, make them get that sleep study. If you're hearing those breathing problems at night and if the doctor is giving you any sort of hindrance or not taking your concerns seriously, there's no reason not to order a sleep study. I, I don't know of one. If somebody wants to DM me and let me know, please do, but there's no reason not to. This is one of those things, if a patient came to me and said, Chris, I really wanna have a sleep study. Let's do it, great, fantastic. I'll set you up today. So uh, I just think that we need to be much more aggressive within the primary care community about finding these people, especially when you get individuals over the age of 40 or 50 who snore, they're tired, they're overweight or have high blood pressure. And I know there's a lot of those people in our clinics. So if you want to get in touch with the show, it's DR Chris Winter Twitter, DR Chris Winter Instagram. Really appreciate the likes, subscriptions, follows of the show. Find us on YouTube, same, same moniker. Books are The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It. Talk a lot about sleep apnea in that book, as well as The Rested Child. Talk about sleep apnea in that book, too, because children of all ages can have sleep apnea and can hide it very well. So be aware of that as well, too. That's it. That closes out the Sleep Apnea Trilogy. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, let us know. Really enjoyed this time with you. Until next week, sleep well.